I'm Cher Miller. I'm Jason Bradford. And I'm Rob Dietz. Welcome to Crazy Town, where the heating element on your toilet seat uses enough energy to power a small village in Asia. This is producer Melody Travers. In this season of Crazy Town, Jason, Asher, and Rob are exploring the watershed moments in history that have led humanity into the cascading crises we face in the 21st century. Today's episode is about the taming of water, the flood of problems that have flowed through the centuries from all our damming and plumbing, and the actions we can take to change course. The watershed moment took place 10,000 years ago. At the time, the estimated carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere was 250 parts per million, and the global human population was 5 million. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and the nearest beach town to me was Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, yeah. Was that really the closest? That was the closest, yeah. yeah. And so we would go banana to- Banana slugs, baby. I know. The UC Santa Cruz banana slugs, fantastic. Best mascot. The gooey ducks are pretty good. But gooey anyway. ducks are good. Have those but two ever gone head to head? I hope so. <laughs> I wanna... Who's got the softest body? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a wrestling match. Anyhow, one of my fondest memories of the beach was this day that we- we went down to this river that was coming into the ocean. I just remember spending all day getting sunburned. Well, oh, that's but- when there was actually fresh water running in California. Yeah, there was fresh water, right? right. Had, yeah, there were there were storm events and uh, rivers would precipitation. Flow. Precipitation, that, that concept. Yeah, yeah, it was great. What a time! This is probably the, the late seventies or something like that. But anyway, I just remember being enthralled all day, like putting rocks and sticks, and I was diverting the river and creating these new like channels on the side of it, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. Wow. So, you know, anytime you tell a cool California story, I can always give you the hick version from Georgia, where, where, <laughs> from, from my past. Yeah, uh, which, what is it? So we would uh, have a big storm event in the summer. That was like, you'd get these really gnarly thunderstorms come through, and it would fill the gutters in our neighborhood with a, like you'd have this miniature stream in the gutter. And yeah. so we would take rocks and dirt and leaves and whatever and, and make a big dam of the gutter. And of course, the next thing you do is you each get a, a stick or a pine straw and put it behind the dam. And you're off to the races. You've yeah. got to break the dam, and then you're running, chasing your thing down the gutter until it goes down the sewer, and you know, and then the creek. it gets you, right? right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. You know, if it doesn't end in a, having your arm ripped off in the sewer, it's right. just not a very good story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I obviously, I, I think, like probably most most kids, I, I would think, grew up also doing kind of similar things, either at the beach or. You know, um, in the gutter, like Rob. In no. the gutter, <laughs> like, like always Rob. in the gutter, <laughs> or down down at the crick. Yeah. I can't say crick because I, <laughs> I didn't grow up like that. I think there's something innate to it, don't yeah. you think? Like it's not like you know, if you met my parents, you know, this was not like learned behavior. I was never out there, you know, with my dad building dams. You know, right. oh really? My mom taught me how to race the grass oh, clippings really? down the gutter. She, yeah, it was. Uh, I was homeschooled in it. <laughs> There's a class. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do think it's innate. You know? yeah. yeah. No, I think it's. I think it's true. Right? We're cl- we're clever creatures that like to manipulate our environment and see what happens, and uh, very playful. So, if you if you had a tail, Jason, like a beaver, yeah, 
think of what you could have done oh. with those dams. Oh my god, it's been incredible! <laughs> but see, none of this happened ten thousand years ago, though. This this happened what forty years ago? Well, ten thousand years ago, <laughs> I want you to hearken back in in the olden days uh, times, and we're talking sort of this 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 juncture between humans living as hunter gatherers and transforming into farmers. And it, it wasn't a single moment in time or, you know, a snap of the fingers, but... And it wasn't all humans, right? And it wasn't all humans everywhere, but there were these certain places. And um, one of them, one of the, perhaps one of the oldest locations where it's known that people started doing this was in Jordan. So we're talking, you know, Eastern Mediterranean, Middle East area. And there are these locations on the landscape, these features called wadis. And uh, you probably don't know what this means, but it, it, you might, if I said arroyo, you would okay. know what that meant. Yeah, yeah, kind of. the, uh, the These uh, dry riverbeds. Yeah, most of the time they're pretty dry, but every once in a while they fill up with water because this is a, this is a seasonally inundated environment, but most of the time there's no rain. Then when it comes, it comes big time, right? So it's super important if you're in that situation and you want to grow stuff that you capture the water when it's available and figure out a way then to plant and and harvest. So this is how some of the early agriculture functioned was through taking these seasonal high water flows and diverting it into areas where they could they could then plant crops because they would saturate the soil. So they're kind of augmenting the seasonal inundation and creating then wet fields to plant in. So it's like you can farm for more than just the 20 minutes when that flood comes through. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you can spread it out. You're spreading the water out across the landscape. So this is about 10,000-ish years ago, people started doing the kind of things that we were doing as kids, but for like real- <laughs> At scale. At scale, scale, yeah, and, yeah. And, to grow, and to grow food. So- uh, and imagine in the desert, right, how important this is. Desert people for for before this always had to migrate to find water, you know, and, and there were all these seasonal patterns and they would carry water in animal hides and maybe it's again, Bedouins still do this. I mean it's much yeah much smaller scale, but had been doing this for thousands, thousands of years, exactly. moving from oasis to oasis. Exactly. But getting permanent settlements at scale in these dry environments would be almost impossible. But can you imagine how nice it then would be, though, to figure out how to do this? Because these are pretty amazing places to live, fantastic climates to grow crops in, but you need to control water somehow in order to be reliable. Well, let's talk about broadening this a little bit, because you're talking about, okay, a desert environment and the water coming down and figuring out how to maybe trap and store and use some of it. But there's a whole bunch of other technologies that you know, had had to be coming along at the same time, right? Like, yeah, in, in that moment, you know, if we're going to pick a, a watershed moment, no pun intended, right? If, think about, you know, this this site in Jordan. Okay, wait, can I interrupt you? Can we just agree not to to use the watershed and the puns? This it's too easy. This episode, it's not going to happen. Sorry, buddy. But it's, someone that, might that, slip out. That I, ship I, sailed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. Damn, it. Damn, it. Damn it. Oh, we're so screwed. <laughs> we're done. Do something with screw. Hey, hey, guys, guys, guys. Episode over. Okay, okay. Let's start over. Water on the bridge. Okay, let's start over. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Oh, the collective groan <laughs> from all the listeners. <sighs> okay. Yeah, I shouldn't okay. have brought it up. My God, bad. It's like having a root canal here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, if you don't stop, okay. I'm going to stab you <laughs> <laughs> with a water knife. <laughs> stop it. 
Yeah, so uh, all I was going to say was, and I was being actually serious for a moment, it's not like that moment, I won't use that the dreaded okay. W word, <laughs> that moment was not the first moment where humans were manipulating water, trying to tame water on some level. You had these these communities before, you know, 10,000 years ago, probably longer ago, that were, they had cisterns, right? Mm-hmm. They they dug probably shallow wells. Yep. Um, and that allowed them to, you know, harvest water for kind of daily use. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily use. for planting, and right. you know, um, but it was a lot better than going down to the to the river, you know, and transporting yeah. the water that you needed. Yeah. Um, so probably humans were doing this in in small communities, going way, 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 way back. Yeah, right? but what we're what's so significant about what we're talking about then is they got beyond this sort of household domestic use and they went into large-scale agriculture suddenly that was a thing and this also happened of course in nile the nile river in egypt that was apparently an incredible system with highly predictable flood regime they could set your calendar pretty much to the river's going to start rising here and the flood would actually start at you know the southern end and work its way to the north so there was a there was then systems in place for when you would get your water and how it would flow to your neighbors and when you would like let your field dry out and start to plant. So um, incredible how a huge, really large civilization then with the scale of the Nile could form. And it's interesting to think about that too, because like if you study later history, even, you know, you look at the Roman Empire and you hear that like Egypt was a breadbasket mm-hmm. for the Roman Empire, which is a really hard thing, at least for me to kind of imagine, right? Right. But that was how sophisticated they were and how much they were able to grow, you know, based upon the systems that they had set up. Well, and as a farmer, Jason, you know that they had really good fertility from all the crocodile poop. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's the best kind. You know, I spent a lot. You spend a lot to a, get. Crocodile. Was it rich with with? Phosphorus and <laughs> whatever whatever's needed for yeah. those crops. So, but in other parts of the world, they're doing this stuff too. I mean, I think twenty seven hundred years ago, something like that. You know, there there um, there's documented evidence that in in China, you know, we see that they are manipulating water to create these shipping canals. Right? Yeah, there was there's this evidence of what I, I guess some people call the Grand Canal, right? Mm-hmm. Which was a shipping canal that was actually used as a means of communication throughout the empire. Yeah. And it made it a lot easier to probably move things and people and to communicate over long distances that way. But yeah, and then transport agricultural goods, of course. So uh, you can get cities because you can now not only grow the food, but you can move it long distances really inexpensively. And doing that actually led to the, the building of these large construction sites. And some historians, I guess, call this the largest civil engineering project prior to the Industrial Revolution. Wow. Right? Yeah. And that was 2,700 years ago. Right? Yeah. And, and what was fascinating about, about China was that they, they, know, they not only move food into cities— but they moved the waste, human waste, out of cities and oh. back to the farms. I, I got dibs on being one of the early guys that's hauling food, and you guys can handle the return trip. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, and this, I think we probably talked about this before when we talked about cities. How important it is to actually get rid of waste. It's not just yeah. bringing things in. 
it's taking things out. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, I have a really soft spot for for canals. Uh, you know, this season is about history and, and watershed moments, and uh, unfortunately, I'm I'm an American, so our history only goes back a, a, a few hundred years if you're of European descent. So when you talk really old in the U.S., you're talking like the days of George Washington, right? Yeah. And uh, he had this great idea for a canal that would connect Western Maryland into into D.C., into the, the nation's capital. And the whole idea there was to be able to haul coal and agricultural products in, into the city. And it wasn't built in his lifetime. It got built later. But the the reason I love this canal is they've maintained the towpath for it where the the donkeys used to haul the, the barges on it. Hmm. And you can use it as a hiker-biker trail. And so it was like the first bike tour I ever did was on this canal. And it's so cool. Like you see all the structures, the locks that can raise the water up. And there's this like 2,000-foot-long tunnel that they dug by hand. I mean, you talk about yeah. the industrial, you know, sort of pre-industrial revolution building. Like how the hell did they tunnel through a mountain for you know half of a mile using people and horses yeah it's hard to fathom how nice and important canals must have been before we had all the highway systems we have now i mean just stunning well and you think about the power base i mean you think about the erie canal and you know these were huge projects in the history of the united states and those were centers of large populations and, and economic activity. They're kind of forgotten yeah, now, yeah. right? There's some canals in the Lemmet Valley that are that you know were not used very long, honestly. So you know, there's a there's a waterfall uh, that in Oregon City mm-hmm. that the Willamette drops down, and it it was a real big industrial site, but. Uh, apparently the lock there is for sale. So oh, if you sure. guys want to, you know, make <laughs> an investment, yeah, yeah, get some old school technology going. Yeah. Uh, well, look, if you want to talk about manipulating water and and changing flows, uh, then you got to go to dams, right? You know, what did the fish say when it hit the wall? Oh God! Uh, Sorry, it's a dad joke. Never mind. Keep going. No, come I, on, punchline us. I think you just answered. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep <laughs> going. Just keep going. Okay, so. Uh, I wanted to bring up the first known dam. Uh, you guys aware of this? It was the Jawa Dam, oh. and it was built uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away <laughs> in a place called Tatooine. Nice. <laughs> yes. Jawa Dam. How did we find out about that? Yeah, the archaeologists well, was on re- that It was recorded on this little disc, and it was stored in a droid. And, oh. uh, they found the droid. They found the droid. Is this one of those top secret things that the government hasn't acknowledged yet? Yeah, Area Fifty One. That's why we don't can't go there. Yeah. Right. No, I, I. It was called the Jaw, or is called the Jawa Dam, but it, it, it was twenty six hundred years ago. Not not that long ago. But the 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 way that the dams manipulate water, it just blows me away. When uh, sorry to go back to another bike trip, but I was on a a trip uh, through Montana, and we stopped at this place called Libby Dam. And it's one of those sort of Western uh, U.S. hydroelectric dams. It backs up uh, the Kootenai River all the way up into Canada. And the lake is actually called Kukanusa, mm. which is a, 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 an aggregate of Kootenai, Canada, and USA. <laughs> Kukanusa. Um, but uh, we got to go inside the dam yeah. and, and do this tour. And it's like, 
a massive structure and you're inside you just feel like you're in some weird prison building and they've got these huge generators and uh, museum that was actually I think I talked about in a previous episode where they had a stationary bike with light bulbs on it and you could see how hard it was to power light bulbs with with right. human energy and we, we thought we were badass bikers at that point and like I could barely what was the name of that, that German dude that we've talked about? Oh, the right. toaster? Oh, yeah. Robert versus Robert, the toaster. Robert, Robert would have kicked your ass, yeah. buddy. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> a, that's, that's clear. But that, though you're getting an important feature then is now we're integrating this control of water with the ability now to harness the power, the hydropower. Right, exactly. So that's, that's huge now to step up sort of you know, the ability then to mill grain and um, cut wood. Yeah. So. Big deal. Yeah, and you know you got to think. Uh, at least here in the U.S., our federal agencies never saw a river that that they didn't want to dam. I mean, right. You know, they, like nobody has probably heard of Libby Dam. I, I know. I was just going to say that. Yeah. It's like, but it's just huge. a little dam, you know. But it's it's massive. Right. You know? Right. Oh well, the Columbia River Basin is astonishing. Like how many how many giant dams are in this one river? Yeah. But you know, we we not only are blocking blocking rivers. But we've also historically worked to block the sea and creating seawalls. Some of it is just to protect, you know, from the occasional odd storm that that will the wave in, wave action gets too far into your town. But others, of course, have been envisioned for rising seas, and of course, the, well, the, the Dutch, my people, yeah, yeah, my people have been doing this for centuries and centuries, and it wasn't. In anticipation of no. of sea level rise because of global warming, this was about basically creating land out of nothing, right? Yeah. And uh, and they're still you know shallow in, marine environments. Yeah, they're still in in the, in the process of creating islands out of yeah. out of nothing. But it's a, a pretty remarkable system that the Dutch have created oh, with the amazing. deltas that they have, and you know they still have they rotate their kids through a lot when their holes. In in the in the yeah. sea walls, you yeah, know, yeah. to stick their fingers yeah. in. Yeah, um, I was wondering where you were going yeah. with that. Yeah. If you get a, you get in trouble in school, I hear that's your time out. Yeah, that's the, you. You go to the dike and you stick your finger. In yeah, there, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh huh. But uh, I, I've just seen some amazing videos and write ups of how much amazing technology went into these things, like taking willows and cutting them down and wrapping them together and 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 like giant mats like football fields of mats of like these willow bundles that they put rocks down on and it's just crazy how much went into all that that they figured it out so yeah humans can do a lot without having these big machines that are that's incredibly manipulative to the environment yeah. of course with big machines we could do a hell of a lot more yes and are right well uh, yeah. I think a next uh, sort of uh, phrase in this this essay on on water manipulation, you got to turn to uh, water and wastewater treatment. Which uh, mm. I, I guess among the three of us, maybe I'm the expert because uh, I actually had a, a, a class in grad school. I, I went to school for environmental science and engineering and took huh. water and wastewater treatment because most of the environmental I, science programs. I'm an expert. I flush a toilet at <laughs> least yeah. once a day. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what you're talking about. That's true. I, I, I didn't mean to try to upstage you guys. No, I no. mean, you, you have plenty, plenty of experience with shit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you think about uh, uh, this, this 
sort of dissent for or maybe dissent isn't the right <laughs> word. Uh, if we're if we're in the progress meme, it's the ascent into uh, you know from agriculture to industrial to these big urban areas. You're not doing that without yeah. good water and wastewater treatment systems. But there is a, I mean, sure with with the giant cities we have today, it's impressive, but. But Rome figured out a lot of stuff, yeah. you know, back in the well, day. Well, Rome was a pretty big city, too. I mean, the emperor Plumpus Cracus um, <laughs> and his incredible public works project, the Cloacus Maximus, it's very hard to surpass these. Wait, can we just point out that one of those I'm pretty sure is made up. The other is not, right? The other is not. Yes. Well, the Cloacus, can you explain Cloacus Maximus to apparently me, Apparently, the Cloacus Maximus is the na- was the name of the major sewer line that dumped the sewage in Rome into the river, the Tigris. Wow. Yeah. And of course, a cloaca is a part of bird anatomy. That, well, it's, you, know, it's you, you can guess which, which not part. just bird, but like reptiles and yeah. stuff. It's 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 the multi tool. What what uh, what's your <laughs> orifice? But what you I think know, a lot of people are not aware of is that uh, that uh, that almost didn't get passed. The Senate was going to filibuster it, <laughs> but then uh, uh, Gigantus uh, Maximus Butholius was able to overcome that. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, that. He's one of Rome's greatest senators. <laughs> yes. Um, Not as well known as as our good friend from uh, Life of Brian. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I knew you were going to take us to Monty Python at some point, but yeah. I think you're in the wrong story, right? I mean, there not there one uh, about Rome? Yes, that, that would be a fun one to play a little clip of. What have the Romans ever done for us? The aqueduct? What? The aqueduct. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did give us that. Uh, that's true, yeah. And the sanitation. Oh, yeah, the sanitation, Reg. Remember what the city used to be like? Yeah, all right, I'll grant you, the aqueduct and the sanitation are two things the Romans have done. And the roads. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. the roads. I mean, the roads go without sand, don't they? But apart from the sanitation, the aqueduct and the roads... Irrigation. Medicine. Yeah. Education. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. And the wine. Yeah. Well, I tell you, though, we've... The, the, the outhouse was a was a, a nice thing to have but i do appreciate full plumbing systems yeah i mean come on it's it's certainly convenient so i mean i appreciate what rome what the romans did you know getting getting plumbing the it's funny plumbing. though cuz that was lost for a long time right yeah. it was a big deal for i i remember i don't know if you guys ever read the uh the big brain series of kids books hmm. um no no my brain's uh, little your brain's little. <laughs> there are books that I read when I was younger, and then I read them to my boys as well. And one of the stories, uh, they're set in basically in Utah around the, the turn of the, 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 like the 1900s period. And one of the stories that's in there is just the big deal of how this family got the first indoor toilet, mm-hmm. first water closet inside. And it was like a huge friggin' deal in this town. Yeah. And everyone thought that it was... <laughs> insane and crazy and it was gonna right. like you know create problems in the house you yeah. know it was like revolutionary right and this yeah. is how many thousands of years after the romans you know set up this so, whole yeah. this is bizarre because i was uh, i'm now remembering i was given that book for a birthday the great brain not big yeah, brain the great, the great brain. brain i was given yeah. that that book to me <laughs> for a birthday present and i started trying to read it and i was talking about a water clause and i'm there like you go. i don't know what that is so i just put the book down <laughs> and gave up on yes. it 
Yeah. What the hell's a water closet? Well, apparently, you know, these things were invented in a series of breakthroughs in plumbing technologies that culminated in the very famous uh, invention of, by, uh, by Thomas Crapper. <laughs> and uh, people might think that's a joke. That's not a joke. Right? No, Thomas Crapper. Thomas Crapper was a real dude. Yes, did some a very, a very it, important little that, change in the mo- and it created that it pulled all the previous work together. And, and that it, nickname breakthrough comes from something. Yes, right. it does come from uh, something. Yeah. It's making me think that a good name for a plumbing company would be Cloacus Maximus. You know, <laughs> you got the butt crack thing, you got the water thing, you got it's all in there. <laughs> well, look how far we've come. Just if we think about like sanitation and all that. At the at the home scale, I mean, we've gone from outhouses to now we've got these fancy toilets, you know, that like like you know compliments you on on the crap you just took <laughs> and scans your poop, you tell really? you if you're like too low, you're iron deficient is or this, something like that. Is there really poop scanners out there? Yeah. Oh my god! I mean, I mean you I, can get anything you want. Dude. I've had some really good experiences on some of these Japanese brands, so you know, warm, dry, heated seats, yes, uh, soft as can be. So, yeah. Various sprinkler settings. The, the sprinkler settings. I mean, I think you can map human progress just by looking at the way that people had to go to the bathroom over millennia, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, that. man. I, I, again, we, that might be a descent rather than, uh, than progress. It will be circular. Well, let's think about this. You know, people learn how to control water to grow excess food. And it seems like a pretty little minor little shift. They're just playing in the sand kind of and diverting, diverting these flows from these wadis or arroyos, whatever you want to call them. But this allows then all this excess food, more concentrated population centers. And if you don't have to be nomad, you can start building things that are going to stay put this is how cities form. Gosh, also, just thinking for a second, in the desert, in these dry places where this was happening, yeah, those structures, they're going to last. They're going to last. That's you know, kind of like the why we have so much uh, good archaeology from these places. Right. They're going to last. I mean, like Vegas. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. <yeah. laughs> well, everything else follows. You know, when you, when you start doing canals or dams and this, all water, you're solving all the downstream, sorry, problems that that form when you start getting these population densities and you need to move stuff around and clean stuff up and have power supplies yeah it and i you know it's also a testament to uh it's an expression of of power itself right like you think about the we, we talked a little bit about the enormous these enormous undertakings that you have in ancient egypt or in china and um you know, even more recently, before there was fossil fuel energy to to power and machines to power a lot of this stuff, it it was a manifestation of the power of the state to organize that many people right. to work on these enormous projects, right? Yeah. And part of it's about you could say it's an expression of of the cohesion of a society that says this is a priority for us. To, to expend so much human labor to do this and to have a long-term mindset around it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also about the power in the sense of a state to yeah. compel people to do this stuff. And and when we think about power, we, we think about harnessing water for power, literally for, for energy purposes. But, you know, it's um, having power, uh, having water is uh, is an enormously important component of a power itself. Yes. You know, you think about 
not just like the power of the state, but geopolitical, you know, power between states. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's been true over history. It's certainly true now. And I think um, uh, you, you could see example of this all over the place, going back to the Middle East, for example, you talk about, we're talking about Jordan, right? Yeah. And, and control over the Jordan River yeah. is an incredibly important issue right now. And, and it's a manifestation of, of, of state power. Well, because it connects then to food so tightly, right? And and food is, has long been an incredible political force. You know, why do you do you have enough food? Hey, you control the food supplies because without that, these states don't survive very long. Well, if, if if you're dealing with famine or people don't have enough of their essential needs, the state yeah. can't can't maintain itself. Right? So nowadays, we talk about the trade in the trade in like the staple grains is actually also sort of a hidden trade in water. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about water and power, you got to go to the movie Chinatown, right? The the classic with Jack Great Nicholson. Film. Yeah. Um, well, I actually think that the uh, an area in the U.S. that sort of brings a lot of this together, ties it up, is the Colorado River Project. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned know that area. Vegas yeah. the other day, or the other day, the other minute. Yeah. Like a, yeah. a few seconds ago, and. And, you know, it doesn't exist without exploiting the Colorado River. Phoenix doesn't exist. It was really interesting. When I was living in Albuquerque, um, it's in the Rio Grande River watershed. But it, New Mexico is one of the states that uh, has a legal claim on the water in the Colorado River. And it wasn't really using it much uh, because it's not that much of the state that uh, you know, most of the state is in the in the Rio Grande watershed, and uh, they decided since we're an upstream part of this uh, this group of states and Mexico that has some claim on the Colorado, we better get our water out of there. So they built this big project to transfer water from the Colorado basin into the Rio Grande. Wow! You know, so there you, there you go with like the kind of political power and making sure you're getting yours before your uh, downstream neighbors. Uh, so we're, yeah. not, we're not just fighting, you know, now we're not just like um, upsetting Mexico because we're right. taking all the water. It's like, no, no, New Mexico, New Mexico has to upset everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't even touch on water rights just even for individual, like, you know, landowners and the mm-hmm. use of water for, you know, agriculture and the yeah. tensions that exist as a result of that, how important water rights are. It's a type of property right. And in, yeah. in our nation and in the West, sort of property rights are, are so central to sort of the state, like what, what, what allows, you know, wealth to accumulate and be sold and transferred. Yeah. It's, it's and, and important. You think about the insanity of, of sort of water policy. You look at the amount of, <laughs> of fresh water that's being used for fracking. You know, um, oh, and- I'm sorry, Asher. You say the insanity of water policy. It reminds me, I, I used to work for the Department of the Interior, and one of the agencies is the Bureau of Reclamation. And I went to the Department of the Interior conference one year, which of course was held in Phoenix, Arizona. Right. <laughs> and the, the Bureau of Reclamation guy uh, gives this big talk about it was, I remember it really well. It was called Water for the West. And his whole spiel was, there's all these uses of water here from ag to industry to domestic use to gardens to golf courses. Whatever. And our goal at Bureau of Reclamation is to provide water for the West with no mention of how much is available, what's our right. budget, what makes sense, how should we have our landscape unfold to deal with water scarcity. And I was just sitting there like, 
do I do I even ask this guy a question after his talk, or do I just laugh it off and, and go on my merry way? Because the policy was so absurd. Yeah, and you know we think of water is a renewable resource, right? We think of it that that way, but um, the way that we are depleting water, uh, that we're using water, that we're wasting water, that we're you know, now we're, you know, uh, dipping deeper and deeper into these aquifers. I mean, you hear these stories now uh, from California where, you know, wells are are dug mm-hmm. ever deeper. And then a, even, you know, a couple years later, they have to start over again. Yeah. You know, it's um, we're, we're now in this era because of climate change, because of the, the scale of our consumption of water and the growing demand for it where we're really going to be faced with with depletion, right? And we've so we've seen how water has been uh, a source of struggle and conflict in the past. We've seen um, you you look at what's happening in in places like in South America and other places in the world, China, others where indigenous communities are completely literally just disappeared yeah. because their land is is inundated with water because dams are being constructed. Yeah. But we're facing a situation where we might have conflict, obviously, between nations over water resources, conflicts between states, yeah. you know. I mean, I think that there's probably some real consternation and some, hopefully some thought being put into, like, what happens with the Great Lakes? And are the Great Lakes states, you know, concerned about demand for water from... All the climate migration yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, or states wanting to, to you know, drier states, yeah, to, to, oh, to send water. Well, this is what's great. The first thing that's happening there is they're renaming it to the mediocre lake. Yeah, downplay <laughs> exactly. what your resource. Downplay yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Lake, it's like, it's like eh, not so superior, just it's, okay. It's, it's Fair to Midland. Yeah, Lake Decent. <laughs> lake Decent. Like, like I'm, I'm okay, I'm so-so. Right. Um, but no, this is what's nuts, is we're, we're continuing to double down on the madness. And, and there's every once in a while, you'll read a story about somebody that has had a proposal around, and they, they keep floating at the congressman. Like, there was this one guy who... Floating it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Like, like, there was this... When I was in California, I remember there was... There was every once in a while, it'd pop up. The idea was, take this barge with this giant bladder, like a giant big bag, and go to... Take it up to Alaska and, and just... And just pull it up next to a river, a fresh river, right? Fill up with fresh water, and then sail it back to California, pump it out, and then just keep doing it again. And there's proposals to tow, tow yeah, icebergs. icebergs from Antarctica, yeah. like if the Thwaites Glacier okay. go, Let's why not? Tow I, I got a, I got yeah. an undergraduate research paper on that topic. You maybe did? I'll maybe I'll see if I can dig that up and, and share it with you guys. Yeah, but what, what cries crazy. me crazy is that you know we think we're just going to get bigger. And more complex and more outlandish. As this is, and just as this is a way out somehow. Well, when all it is is just making it worse. You're not even talking about the, the good substitutes for water that we could that we could come up with. <laughs> yeah, we don't need water. The yeah. economy will yeah. figure out. The yeah. market will figure out a. Substitute. If the price goes up for water, we'll find something else. You can get rate. You can buy, you can buy dry water <laughs> where like all you got to do is add water. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I'm sorry to keep harping on this point, but we're talking about the privileged being able to assert yes. power, bring you know, in this case, financial resources to bear to meet their needs, right, yeah. in a totally unsustainable way. And and I and I don't want to ignore the fact that we see this every day from the standpoint of the privatization of water 
for drinking, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you see these enormous companies who've privatized uh, a resource, yeah. you know, that should be in commons, right? Excuse me, I'll make it my Fiji bottle right yeah, over Exactly. Here. You know, you've got these enormous companies doing this stuff, rich fucking Americans and, you know, uh, getting their Fiji water, well, you know. The best <laughs> part is those bottles of water, they uh, they actually taste like Nestle Crunch Bar when you drink right. them. Exactly. <laughs> they sell them in the package. Yeah. Together. I think it's really smart to trans, you know, drink water out of plastic. Yeah. That's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 and you know, shipping water. I mean, it's not, you know, yeah, it's as light as a feather. Yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see some of the conflict coming to a head, and again, kind of in, in at least nearby our region, the Klamath River uh-huh. Basin. This past year has seen some really uh, rough conflict. Where you know you've got drought conditions, the the river's getting low. There's Laws in place for keeping water in the system for salmon, yeah. but then people want to irrigate these fields that are, you know, essentially in near desert condition, and and you got like the Bundy clan up there. Is that Ted Bundy? Uh, well, no, but it, it is weird. Anybody <laughs> named Bundy seems to have. Uh, it's the it's the Ammon Bundy. Oh group, yeah, yeah, but, that one. But you okay. got Ted Bundy. You got the Bundy guy from Married with Children. Right. <laughs> if there are any Bundy <laughs> listeners Walk out away. there, Sorry. just consider a name change. <laughs> yeah, really. they probably already have. Yeah. yeah, but uh no they were like you know threatening to just go and open the the yeah. floodgates literally the yeah. the you know the little <laughs> check dams the and puns that was pun number 17. That one wasn't even a pun that right. was a real literal thing. yeah. 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 And, uh, and you know just this this confrontation meanwhile you got a tribe there that has uh, declared that the Klamath River should have the rights of a person. Yeah. Right. Um, which I think is is really cool. We've talked about the rights of nature in the past, but here's yeah, I don't know how much rain they're get, they're you know they're getting this season where maybe that conflict sort of uh, you know cools off. But any time the water gets scarce, you're just ready for battle. Yeah, you brought up a very sensitive issue. You know, if if this show goes viral, this this episode, we're going to be deluged with comments <laughs> about. Oh God, uh, stop it! Sorry, I just. <laughs> I really, I forced that one, didn't yeah, I? You really did. I really forced. I, that I, would, one. I feel dumb. I was actually listening to you. Like, what comments are we going to get? Uh, just, all you wanted to say you was just deluge. ensured that the comments we were going to get. Was like, I spent, Stop I spent it with two the minutes. Puns. I spent two minutes waiting to get that in, and wow. it was awkward. <laughs> uh, that was awkward. All right, moving on. Hey guys, I want to read a review that one of our listeners wrote for us. This is from uh, someone named Jared Del Barco, who says, It's not easy to talk about climate change in a way that's entertaining without diminishing the seriousness of the subject. These guys don't sugarcoat the situation we're facing, but somehow this podcast leaves you feeling well-informed and resolute instead of doomed and hopeless. Just because we send everyone drugs before they listen. <laughs> I, 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 he had me at sugar coating. I thought, I thought he missed the point, actually, because I, we were trying to leave people doomed and hopeless. But, right. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> that's just that. not working out for us. Uh, <laughs> we'll keep trying. Yeah. No, yeah. seriously, Jared, thank you so much for that. We always appreciate uh, words of encouragement, or even if, if you got critiques, let us know about that, too. But please get out there and, and drop us a five-star review if you like what you hear. decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. (laughs) My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. 
If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. So I love our do the opposite segment because it, it, you know, it, it, it forces us to get away from ranting a little bit and maybe give some actual useful ideas so out there. So the first one we have to bring up is no puns. All right. I'm done with I'm done with puns. Good, okay. good. I'm I'm very happy for. Okay, for everyone can relax. Take a deep breath, everybody. <sighs> okay, <sighs> drink it so in. One of the first <laughs> one of the first things we can do with uh, what we've done poorly in manipulating water is you know we, we've tried to get rid of wetlands and then you know put up seawalls and all that. So can we just uh, focus on restoring wetlands yeah. and and keeping these? Where's uh, the profit in that, dude? Well, you know, sometimes it's not about the profit. You know, I actually did some research on this related to agricultural lands, and it's so much more better. Really? More the, better? Yeah, more better. Is it the most bestest? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's humongous, fantastic. But it's, in other words, if an individual can make some money farming wetlands, it's way less than the benefits provided to society in general for the ecosystem services wetlands provide right so it's interesting it's like we would do well to like buy wetlands that's privately owned and really convert them and restore them it would make a huge difference in all kinds of ways we save a lot of money on water treatment and things like that yeah no it makes makes perfect sense I, i think also this is this is a highly controversial thing but um I know my my report, The Future is Rural, published by Post Carbon Institute. Um, that was a good report. Oh, thank you very much. He was an incredible editor, helped me out a lot, Rob did. But um, relocating to places with water instead of doubling down and trying to get ever bigger water projects, uh, I think that's important. Hence, we we mentioned the not-so-great lakes right. region. Yeah. If you want to build a dam, do it like Jason. Go down to the beach, yeah. put some pebbles in the, uh, in the stream bed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're going to see that, right? People moving towards where water is. Yeah. Hopefully, rather than these enormous infrastructure projects, you know, right. to go to greater and greater lengths to move water long distances, right? And, you know, there's little things, though. I, we're talking about gigantic changes, but there's little things you can do. I think, I remember when I, I was, I, I, spent a, I spent a summer in Europe one time, and one of the first things I did was I bought this thing called a Boda bag, which is this this leather pouch that I could carry around and have water with me. Yeah, it's a wine skin, right? I okay. Don't that's not <laughs> but you can put water in too. No one knows what's in there. I'd but it's drinkable. Have the wine, it's frankly. drinkable. Yeah. Sangiovese or Chianti. So you're saying stop using plastic bottles and shit. Yeah. I mean, we have a nice renewable way to do it. It is thousands of thousands of years old. Why not just go back to this? Yeah. It's a good business idea. I I, I want to bring it back to, to big projects for a second. We're talking about moving water you know, for people to consume. There's also trying to keep water at bay. In this case, we're talking about seawater, right? Mm-hmm. And Keep water at bay. <laughs> you did it, you did it again. I, did, I actually didn't even mean that. I know. But in a literal sense, you do want to keep the water in the bay. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is interesting to note how many friggin'... Yeah phrases we have you know do, do you that, think it says something about how important water is to life that our language is just uh, yeah, it, is, it is interesting yeah. yeah well i was thinking about you know again back to my people who are have a long tradition of trying to keep you know the, the sea out yeah. right uh, and in fact there are a lot of dutch consultants 
who are making a good living, you know, consulting other cities, right. you know, right. like New York, <laughs> right. trying to figure out how to build seawalls. And, you know, here's my opinion on this matter. This is a fool's exercise yeah. to try to do this massive amount of resources to try to to fight forces that are probably out of our control, especially if we're not going to do all the other things that are required right. to keep us from from certainly tipping tipping things in the Arctic regions in a really right. bad way and right. you get, getting a, a, a real increase in sea level rise. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, bringing this from this really large scale, which I, I do also want to mention with dams, there's a lot of projects to breach dams and try to restore some river systems. So any anytime you can support something like that and get back to some more natural uh, river flows, I, I think that's worth doing. But at the individual scale or the household scale, um, and, and, and you could even take this up to the community scale, I think there's something to be said for embracing your ecosystem in the way that it is. The, the best examples that I have are when I did live in the desert southwest of the U.S., you know, some people are growing these lush green lawns, and it's like, why would you do that? There's beautiful uh, desert plants that you could have instead. Some, some homeowner associations actually <laughs> mandate that people do that. Shit. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. That's changing now, luckily. But yeah, yeah. But it's weird time. because the you can have the the native beautiful character of the place you are, and just basically understand the water regime where you live, and 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 go with the flow. The, <laughs> and, and speaking of. <laughs> Speaking of working with nature, how about bringing some beavers back? Yeah. You know, I mean, yes. there are incredible compatriots in our in our ecosystem. Or this do the opposite moment brought to you by Oregon State University <laughs> exactly. and the beavers. It is a good mascot. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, that. of all the mascots, it's a... It's a pretty nice... It's not a banana slug, but eh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's got a nice yeah, But tail. beavers are incredible, and there's amazing stories of how beavers have transformed relatively dry environments yeah. you know but I, I can we just end on this one note which i think is probably the most important and if there's any one single thing i think that, that our listeners need sure to keep in mind as um as a takeaway it's if it's yellow let it mellow <laughs> We want to give a special thanks to Ilana Zuber, our star researcher of the watershed moments through history. Without her work, there's no way we could have covered such sweeping topics this season. Yeah, and we also want to thank our other outstanding volunteers. Anya Steyer provides original artwork for us, and Taylor Antal prepares the transcripts for each episode. And a big, big thank you to our producer, Melanie Travers, who helps us bozo stay professional. And finally, thanks to you, our listeners. If you want to help others find their way to Crazy Town, please drop us a five-star rating and hit that share button when you hear an episode you like. Wow, folks, lots of great innovations are coming at us so fast right now. As Paul Simon once sang, these are the days of miracle and wonder. Aren't we all now just so excited about the metaverse, which is the next big way the rich are going to get richer? But in turning our lives over to Mark Zuckerberg, we truly do have a chance to live more sustainably. How do you ask? 
Because instead of going snorkeling in Palau for real, we will just leap into the sensory field of the metaverse and not only enjoy the sparkling waters of Indochina by day, but we can party in Venice that same night. Lots of dopamine, few carbon emissions. There is a problem, however. Current technology makes most people pretty sick. You see, right now, the systems available are visual field interactive only. And the body is like, whoa, I can see that I just jumped out of an airplane above a lavender field in Provence, but I can't feel any wind. And this induces nausea. Vomit it too many times and your Oculus gear smells pretty bad. Not like lavender. But yeah, we've got new technology on the way that fixes it right up. And it's called the real feel haptic chamber. It is just loaded with accelerometers, wind machines, water baths, and fragrance makers to induce a full sensory experience no matter where you are and what you are doing. Integration is the name of the game, baby. So get with me. Repeat game changer three times and laugh like a manic monkey. Real feel, haptic chamber, go! Crazy town, da 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 da, crazy town.